0: Hello, listeners. A quick content note before today's episode. We're talking about Rob Wilkins' new book, A Life with Footnotes, in quite some depth. And so we do discuss Terry Pratchett's battle with Alzheimer's and the documentary he filmed on euthanasia. Also, as Joanna will warn you at the top of the episode, we are slightly less spoiler light than usual, Having just edited the episode, I can say we don't say anything particularly Discworld shattering, but if you are a total spoiler purist, this might not be the episode for you. And without further ado, let's
1: make a podcast. Hello and welcome to the True Shall Make Ye Fret, a podcast in which we are usually reading and recapping every book from Terry Pratchett's Discworld series when I time in chronological order. I'm Joanna Hagan. And I'm Francine Carroll. And with us today, we have... Mark Burroughs. Hi.
0: Hi, Mark.
2: (laughs) Surprise, listeners. Hi. I have parachuted in with some much-needed testosterone, but not that much. (laughs)
0: A (laughs) soupçon.
2: Yeah. I mean... (laughs) um not that i'm not to question my own virility or anything but um, <laughs> it's, it's more
0: it's, that you don't go splashing it around for no reason
2: that i mean a- yeah it's better it's better to be that way around as far as i'm concerned <laughs> this is a weird start
0: <laughs> it i'm is, sorry yeah, no we've launched right into it it's good we lowered the tone early i'm from here it's only
1: up <laughs> yeah, yeah we like to have a low bar to start with <gasps> we are here with our special special guest today to talk about Rob Wilkins' new book, Alive with Footnotes.
0: Rob Wilkins, for anybody who may still be unaware, was Terry Pratchett's personal assistant for oof, 15 years. that sound right?
2: He was his business manager for the last couple of years of their relationship. He
0: worked very closely with Terry Pratchett for 15 years. <laughs> um, and before that, worked uh, with Colin Smythe. So quite the CV. That
1: is an impressive one. Note on spoilers, before we crack on, we're a spoiler-like podcast. This episode will potentially contain spoilers for almost all of the Discworld, but we are still saving any and all discussion of the final Discworld novel, The Shepherd's Crown, until we get there, so you dear listeners can come on the journey with us.
2: It's really nice just to see that being said live. I'm really glad I
1: managed it first time. <laughs> I listen to it so often,
0: Usually I try and ad-lib a, a book-relevant one, but I can't think of anything appropriate. Uh, even Rob Wilkins didn't spoil The Shepherd's Crown, though, I should say, so that's good.
1: Yes, well done, him.
0: <laughs> and Mark (laughs) Mark Burrows, we have as our special guest today because he also wrote a biography of Terry Pratchett. It's called The Magic of Terry Pratchett. And it's very good. Thank you. And if you haven't heard our special episode on that, um, well, it doesn't really matter if you listen to them in order. But after you've listened to this, go back and listen to that. Speaking of writing and stuff, actually, Mark, what have you been writing since we last saw you?
2: uh loads um today i wrote an article that was specifically designed to bait the worst half of the internet Um, i
0: did see the headline i did not read the article yet
2: (laughs) i didn't choose the headline i got a commission from the new statesman they basically went somebody was being snooty about how many how many young people identify as bisexual would you like to write a celebration of flexible sexual attitudes and can it please annoy right-wing twitter (laughs) (laughs) and now I'm a freelance writer who does this for a living I can't really turn down commissions so I said yes so that's what I did and it's a London film festival at the minute so I'm doing a lot of film reviews but um, other than that I've written another book which is out soon in three weeks what's that one? it is called The London Boys David Bowie, Mark Boland and the 60s teenage dream it's about David Bowie and Mark Boland's relationship prior to becoming glam rock superstars and their kind of journey through the 1960s which is kind of just a stealth social history Cool. And if you ask me how I went from Terry Pratchett to David Bowie, I can explain it, but but I'll do it another time. Okay. <laughs> there are power PowerPoint. It sounds like a left turn, but actually I found crossover.
0: Is that now available for pre-order and stuff? It's can I, a, can yeah. I have a link for the show notes? You can, pre-
2: you can pre-order it from markburrows.co.uk or from all of the other places where books are available to be pre-ordered. Cool.
0: So I guess we'd want to start with the obvious, which is you wrote a book about Terry Pratchett as well. And. Rob wrote a book about Terry Pratchett. How did it feel reading this book about Terry Pratchett? Uh,
2: it was a massive relief. Yeah, um, <laughs> honestly, it was because I I knew this book was coming. I always hmm. knew this was happening. So I deliberately pitched mine in a different direction. Okay. I knew there were things that Rob would definitely be able to write that I that I just simply couldn't. He had better access. He had memories yeah (laughs) Um, he had terry practice actual notes um because terry started work on his autobiography. like they were working on it together and the first quarter of the book pretty much is based on terry's notes so i knew i couldn't i couldn't do that so i went down roads that i knew he wouldn't do so i went more into fandom more into critical analysis of the books and terry's place in culture and that sort of thing. So reading it, I mean, first of all, I enjoyed it. It was weird. It genuinely was a bit weird because I'd already told this story. And especially the first quarter is really similar. Yeah. And Rob and I have got a very similar tone, which I think is probably because we're both channeling Terry basically. Yeah. <laughs> so there are there are like, we're writing back like literally the same thing. So there are there are paragraphs in his that are the different trouser leg of time version of mine. Like on a different day, I would probably would have written it using those words instead of my words. So that was weird just going through and then I couldn't help comparing and contrasting. I couldn't help linking things. But my main feeling was A, that I was really glad that Rob's book was great because it yes. is, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And I was I was yeah. really pleased that he pulled it off. And then B, I was really pleased that my instincts had been right and the two books complement rather than, rather than-
1: Competing with each other.
2: Yeah, exactly, which is exactly what I wanted. And then the third thought is the selfish one, which was uh, I kind of went, I mean it's good but it's not that much better than mine <laughs> and i was really nervous that it'd be so much better than mine and no one would need to pick mine up again but i was i was actually like oh you know what mine mine actually holds its own
0: yeah no it's definitely useful to have both of them on hand speaking as the very edge case of people who need to look up perry pratchett <laughs>
1: stuff all the time you know? yeah you're still very much wins for having an index
0: yeah. uh, yes Joanne exactly is so salty about the lack of index they, they
1: don't usually have them joe i know but they're really helpful to me specifically (laughs)
2: my interpretation of it of both books is that mine is outgunned but not outclassed
3: Ah, which is yes.
2: uh, a, a nice place to be. So yeah, I, I enjoyed it a lot. It was a bit weird because I've already told the story and I know where all those stories came from and I know the sources of them and stuff. Yeah. And I knew where it was going, but eventually I was just that particularly once you get into the middle bit where the two books really deviate a lot. Once, once Rob becomes the main character of his book, because I, yeah. I would argue that there are points to that, but where Rob is, is the Rob is the main character, like yeah. r- almost more than Terry. And once you get to those bits, I, those are the bits I enjoyed the most because mm. I think when I don't think Rob quite appreciates quite how much of his own voice is in it and i loved it from those moments
0: yeah i mean he says quite late on in the book doesn't he when terry brattrick kind of turned him and said oh i guess we share a brain now it's one of those nice shifts in perspective as well and it's Mm. nice gradually softly done yeah i don't know Mm. whether it was a it must have been conscious to an extent or Mm. it'd be interesting to uh, it'd be interesting to ask him about that because you do
2: One of the things that strikes me about this book is how mean Terry is to Rob all the way through it. Oh,
0: my God. Yeah, he sounds so terrifying to work with. Literally, I've got five different places in my notes where my notes are just, oh, my God.
2: I if if that two man operation had a HR <laughs> department, uh, like, but there's a sort of I think there's a, you sense the kind of rising respect that Terry yeah. has for Rob as they as it goes along. Yeah. Um. And like if you've ever met Rob Wilkins, he's a very quietly spoken and patient person. And mm. oh my God, I understand why
0: you'd have to be. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's a good point. You, you've um you've gotten to know him since your book came out, haven't you? Or at least met uh, him a few times
2: yeah i think like i think i think we're friends um it's so hard it's like it's a weird thing to say but no no rob like after a while rob reached out and congratulated me on my book and oh, cool. and we got talking and we're actually we have an awful lot in common
3: surprise <laughs> so amazing we're,
2: we're actually like Gosh. we're startlingly similar people uh so oh. we get on really, we get on really well i was texting him earlier today actually because he's in New York, and I was sending him something I was taking the piss out of him for. So oh, uh,
1: that's good to um, know. <laughs> that's but yeah, a we true yeah, true sign I, of friendship.
2: Yeah, but um, yeah, I've, I've yeah, we've met a few times. We've hung out and we get on well. And we have, we've compared notes a lot. We did we did an on stage the Discworld convention, which Joanna was there for. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Where I intu- ostensibly I interviewed Rob on stage, but it was more of a kind. Of, he wanted it to be more of a double act, but I kept trying uh. to push it into me interviewing him. <laughs>
0: Well, he did go on stage with a journalist. I don't know what he what he wanted out of that.
2: <laughs> it was because uh, there was stuff I wanted to ask him and stuff I knew I could po- I could sort of poke him into saying. Yeah. And frankly, his journey into writing that book is way more interesting than my journey into writing mine. Like I wrote a biography of a famous author done by mm-hmm. doing loads of research in libraries and and talking to some people. Like Rob wrote... What is basically almost a memoir of himself mm. and an analysis of his best friend, yeah. and it's a, so it's, that's a much more interesting story. So yeah. I was I was constantly prodding him on that, and then also we we you know we, it was interesting to compare notes because yeah. Yeah. we did do different approaches. There are bits in Rob's book that serve as like prompts for bits in my book, and vice versa. You could literally go. We found bits where you could go. Rob says, "Well, this happened." There's a bit where he says. Terry develops a bar fly technique for getting people to buy him drinks at bar at conventions. And then I, ha- in my book, I have what that technique is. Ah. Uh, so, you know, you can bounce. There's lots of points
1: where they took the two bounce back and forth. Oh, Joanna, between- there's an
0: extra layer to your index.
1: <laughs> what, holding up against Mark's book yeah. and finding all the bits where they match up. The,
0: the thing about the journey he had in writing it is... It's almost unique, isn't it? Actually, how many how many famous authors had somebody so reliably by their side every day mm. for so long that they could write something like that? And and authors with a personality like Joe that you'd want to read a biography of. I'm sure there's lots of fantastic authors who just aren't very really interesting day to day.
1: I mean theoretically Jilly Cooper.
2: There must <laughs> the theoretically Cooper. Yeah. There must be other authors who had personal assistants who mm. wrote memoirs or other famous people. I can't think of any.
1: Listeners, send in your favourites. Well, I think a lot of the time memoirs like that tend to be more kind of scathing tell-alls. This is what really happened. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I was glad like right from the beginning that he, that Rob was like, uh, yeah, he did have a tendency to, shall we say, polish an anecdote. So I was like, oh, good. I can see why Mark never got called up to say, yeah, that's
2: uh (laughs) that. Well, Rob deals with that in in a different way, though, because um, every time... I came up against one of those things. I where, where I felt it was too. It looked too good to be true. I would research it and try and work out what the truth was. Yeah, and then give the reader two versions: Terry's version and the version based on research I've done. And then let the reader choose for themselves.
1: Like you did a lot of research into like the shed he apparently worked in, didn't you?
2: Exactly. Oh, yeah. The the completely imaginary shed that Terry claims that he worked on on the roof of the Bath Evening Chronicle, where he worked alone, according to his notes, and like no one he worked with remembers that shed.
0: Does it? Is it bit gratifying that even Rob couldn't? Because he looked like Rob tried to find that one and couldn't either. Like, yeah,
2: I think so. It was just it's such a mad thing to have made up that you worked in a shed on the roof. That's uh, the roof of the workplace. That's such a strange, that's such a mad thing. But it's, you know, sometimes, but Rob's version of dealing with that is what he calls too good to check. Mm-hmm. Uh, where Rob would rather live in the world where the anecdotes are true because they're more fun and more interesting. And also yeah. I think he doesn't want to, you know, destroy some of the mystery. He doesn't want to, yeah. he keeps the party line a lot. So his version is, this is too good to check. My version is, I'm going to check this. <laughs>
0: <No>. <laughs> Again, it's kind of a, shows the complimentary thing of it because your yours is like not not like an investigation because that sounds a bit, you know, interrogative, but it's a
2: Mine's more journalistic.
0: Yeah, it's journalistic. It's reference. It's and yeah, Rob Rob's personal hmm. anecdote. Yeah. I like that it overlaps without directly contradicting as well. Well, yeah,
2: me too because otherwise it like I was constantly worried that, that this would render mine totally obsolete mm. and that <laughs> mine would be the only thing that would possibly get, like keep mine in print was being cheaper uh, or something. <laughs> Although uh, Rob Rob pointed out he worked out the the cost per word depending on the average the recommended retail price of the books and the word count of both books and his is actually uh, better value than mine to the tune of two twixes.
1: I really that. love that he put the evidence into that maths.
0: Oh, yeah. But how long ago was that? Because I think they're about twice the price than they were this summer. That's <laughs> true. That Yeah, that is true.
1: out we'll on the inflation now. calculator he used for the royalties. <laughs> but you got some uh, corrections from the Pratchett estate as well, didn't you? You had some stuff they asked you to change slightly.
2: Yeah, I did, which I, I doubt Rob got. That was quite interesting. So um, I approached the Terry Pratchett estate to let them know I was writing the book and didn't hear anything back. And then about... Six weeks later, I got a extremely strongly worded letter from their lawyers that basically said, "We'd really rather you didn't write this. We do not endorse it. If you do insist on writing it, we're going to need to see it." Which I so I sent. We sent it to them when it was finished because as a courtesy. Because actually, they didn't need to see it. Like you can write a book on somebody. Yeah comfortably like there's no legal reason as I've, long as you don't li- libel them or inflict infringe their copyright they've got good lawyers just, yeah but they have it um according to rob the same lawyers as the queen oh,
3: yes <laughs>
2: but anyway so i we send them we send them the thing and they 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 came back with a list of corrections and i'm really grateful they did because those corrections fell into two camps one was things i couldn't possibly have known that has been corrected Uh so like actual factual bit interesting factual tidbits that i couldn't have known um so those those were useful and secondly there was lots of kind of we'd rather you didn't say this about him because we don't think it's true i knew that those things were true so rather than taking them out, I made them more journalistically rigorous. I added supporting information. I made them undeniable. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those things was the thing about Terry m- polishing his anecdotes. Yeah, the thing about him ma- about him making up stories. Uh, like it says it in my introduction that, that he did that. And the note I got from the from the lawyers it's something along the lines of Terry was a, was a natural storyteller, but he would never embellish his own anecdotes. And it's. <laughs> Like it's just patently untrue. <laughs> uh, I, I think if they'd read to the end of the book, they wouldn't have mm. made that note. But I think they na- made that note as they read it, and they didn't go back and change it because that becomes a theme through the whole book. Yeah, I, re- I read that out on stage to rob and asked him to and asked him to um to respond to it he he was actually quite baffled that they'd said that (laughs) we don't we also don't know who did the read through from the prejudice estate because rob assumed that colin Smythe had done it but colin assumed that rob had done it oh Uh, and it certainly wouldn't have been rihanna so we don't know colin actually did a fact check read for me yeah. So uh, and he would have brought up those things in that. So I don't know. We don't know. It's a mystery.
0: I can feel like I can tell by Colin Smythe's website that he's extremely into indexing facts properly. So
2: Oh, really very much so, yes.
0: Yeah. Which is why I was I was very pleased and surprised by the description of his office. Uh- a <laughs> <laughs> like, oh pile yeah. of new- yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's I thought Rob was very good on that sort of thing. He's very Hmm. good at uh, 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 time and place and descriptions. Yeah, he sets
1: the scene really well.
2: Yeah, the description of Colin Smythe's dribbly dog.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) And
2: and the teetering pile of papers, which I can, although Colin is very fastidious, I can sort of, having met him, I can sort of imagine it. Mm. that's what his office would look like um he's got kind of an absent-minded professor sort of vibe
1: yeah he's yeah. got that
0: sort of permanently distracted gentleman mm. so fastidious in his work not necessarily in his admin
2: yes exactly yeah. oh, nice which i we can all relate
0: yes very we can. Much
2: so. <laughs> it's made me rather less money than it's made Comments smith
0: <laughs> <laughs> so far so far,
2: if, if,
3: all you've got I, to do
0: is find an aspiring <laughs> sci-fi author who happens to be the world's next genius.
2: <laughs> yeah, all we'll be, all I need to do is, is get twenty percent of the royalties of a genius level, biggest selling author alive, and then I will be doing that well.
0: The lesson has to be: if a journalist on a local newspaper wants to come and interview you, you have to say yes, just in case. Just it's in Terry case. Pratchett. Yeah. <laughs> So or the speak. reincarnation that would of... be weird if it was yeah mm. <laughs> yeah another kind of similarity between your book and Rob's is the obvious influence that perhaps it's had on both of your writing styles I think it's fair to say there's clear mm. like practically influence influences
2: there. I mean in Rob's case that I think is completely unavoidable mm. one of the one of the things I was really surprised about one of the things I genu- you genuinely learn in Rob's book we're doing spoilers for Rob's book right
3: yeah, 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 all the way yes, through.
2: Yeah. yeah, one of my favorite things you learn is because like it was common knowledge that Terry dictated towards the end of the end of his career. Yeah, because he wasn't mm-hmm. capable of typing anymore. Yeah, um, well, one of the things you've learned in the book that I didn't realize was that he'd actually been dictating to Rob for years. Yeah, um, since Nightwatch. Yeah, which is what two thousand and one that came out. Um, so yeah. almost from the beginning of almost from the beginning of Rob's time working for him, he was actually having the work he was the one doing the typing yeah whilst Terry paced around and spoke. So I it doesn't surprise me in the slightest that stylistically that's soaked in. Yeah. Um like of course it of course it yeah. did. You've he's he was the conduit for all those incredible words. Yeah. So how could they any Pratchett fan knows that the weight of words has an impact on
3: huh?
2: the vessel that's Knowledge equals power, and et cetera, et cetera. So, I, th- I think almost like brother in small gods, I think um, yeah. having all of those words in his head have, had, had Did something uh, to his brain. Yeah. yeah <laughs> That's nice <laughs> but also, like, you can't help but write about Terry and not write a little bit like Terry. Like,
0: yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, but, you're quoting him throughout as well. And there's both mm, um, like, of you made
1: judicious use of footnotes, which. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I couldn't. The thing is, I've always written with footnotes. It wasn't yeah. just for this book. I, I I kind of let myself go crazy with them for this book. But I've, <laughs> Everything I've ever written has had footnotes. And that's because I'm massively influenced by Terry Pratchett. Uh. So um, if you go back to read the I edited this book for The Guardian and for Faber and Faber, like, I don't know, 10 years ago now, that was a collection of funny Guardian comments that were very middle class and oh. classic Guardianista. I think it's I might called, have that. It's called I think, I think I Can See Where You're Going Wrong. It's, I
0: got it with uh, my dad.
2: I'm sorry. Yes, <laughs> uh, that was me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's full of footnotes, and all the footnotes are jokes. Like because that's uh, how I write, yeah. and so, so like my new book is full of footnotes. In fact, my favorite bits in my new book are footnotes. So it went without saying I was always going to use footnotes, and because it was an actual, because with in this case it's an actual, you know, it's homage, mm. um, homage. Om, if you om, like
0: homage homage
2: yeah homage homage a. um yes, omar- that's o- omega <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: that's the one homage. Uh, i'll edit the right one in <laughs> yeah
2: um whereas so and then rob was always going to do that because yeah yeah you know, he's the book's called a life with footnotes <laughs> yeah which interestingly he said this on stage uh it was originally going to called called terry pratchett a life fantastic and then he kind of realized that most and there's the the same conclusion that I came to when I was writing about Terry's life is that lots of it weren't really that fantastic lots of it were a man sitting at home writing books
3: yeah
2: and that's and actually, the, the, the ti- that title, "A Life Fantastic," was kind of inappropriate because it implies much more adventuring than really ha- that really happened. That's the life of Sir, of Sir Edmund Hillary,
3: yeah, or someone <laughs> like that.
2: It wasn't the life of, of somebody who, who sat, who spent most of their time sat in front of a computer writing books. And so, I think a life with footnotes is a much better title. Yeah. I think that's a perfect title. It's yeah.
0: definitely that the man was the fantastic thing rather than the the,
2: the life. Yeah, thing. Exactly, yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, um, and he generated that life. He generated the fantastic yeah. elements of it. It wasn't him being an adventurer. He didn't have a life of of a rock star of fabulous parties and all that kind of thing. Although there was some of that, but
0: well, I feel yeah. like everything had kind of a touch of the almost children's book to it, with the the mm. beekeeper outfit and the. The mm. goats and the, but it was more whimsy than fantastical.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, there is kind of a fantasy element mm. to Terry's life, but like a Part cottage large. core fantasy. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, cottage core. He he invented yeah. cottage core yeah. years ago, except uh, from his point Tumblr. of view. Yeah, <laughs> from his point of view, cottage core was just dressing badly.
1: <laughs> I do like that Rob Rob kind of drew a comparison between their like life at Raybury Cottage and the good life, but yeah. less <laughs> middle class. <laughs> oh but- i love the
0: good life sorry, sorry. <laughs> of
2: course you do is your favorite character margot
0: yes oh gosh probably yeah it's been a yeah. do you know i say i love it i haven't watched it since i was a child but there oh, were was- reruns in the evening and i used to love it very much
2: <laughs> joanna straight in there with the yes though
1: is she the neighbor oh, obviously it's margot yes yeah i did
2: like um, it <laughs> the, the slightly saucy posh neighbor yes uh,
1: <laughs> I um, A lot of respect for her. Sorry, yeah. that's off topic. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about Terry Pratchett.
2: Yes, we were, but it was like very the good life. He did keep bees, all that stuff. Like I, I, I say in my book that his cottage, the, his cottage in Roborough, gaze G A Z E, gaze cottage, which uh, is a mistake I definitely uh, I made. G A Z E is basically Granny Weatheraxe's cottage. It's yeah. a fictionalized sort of fantasy version. Fan- granny's cottage is a fantasy version of where terry really lived yeah there was the bees there was the goats there was you know that like it was in the countryside um and they did go out walking and you know it it's feels like it you know it feels like he was kind of romanticizing and fantasizing his own yeah, life. yeah. and particularly when he had very equal rights because Equal Rights was about living in a rickety old cottage and raising a small child. And yeah. that's exa- raising a little girl. And that's exactly what he was doing at the time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that the file was just called Girl
1: for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lovely, a lovely discovery. <laughs> but yeah, there's nice moments later on as well. Like if you're looking at sort of the overlaps between his life and the actual books, like deciding to actually acquire the shepherd's hut, which ends up obviously mm. being a big plot point later on. For
0: sure. Yeah. Some, some of it's life influencing art, and some of it's definitely are influencing life
2: yeah, yeah and i'm not sure where the line is with terry like there there's a because yeah like uh, uh i think he create like the whole if the tiffany aching books are a really good example i know you're spoiler light so we, let's let, I'll i will pull back a little bit on it but the tiffany aching books are set on the chalk and the yes. chalk is essentially wiltshire yes it's, it's where Terry was living. He like he lived literally lived in a village called Broad Chalk, mm. and um, the grounds around his house match up exactly to his description of the grounds around Home Farm where Tiffany lives. Yeah, and the shepherd's hut and the sheep and the the brooks and the bridges and and the turf and everything. It all kind of it all sort of matches. That's the landscape. Uh, he he looked out of his window and he saw the chalk. And he he saw the discworld. I can t- and so you can see those two things influencing each other. He brought his life closer to the fantasy landscape, whilst bringing the fantasy landscape closer to him.
0: Yeah, and it's definitely is one of those series that couldn't have been written by someone who hadn't spent a long time. In the English countryside. Yeah. He was a
2: country boy. And I think yeah. one of the things that you, you get out of Rob's book is that they know how many times do they talk about going to literary events in London? Like hardly yeah. any. There are yeah. a few there. You know, there's the time he meets Douglas Adams at a party and the time he meets J.K. Oh. Rowling at a party. <laughs> and that kind of, you know, but there, there are surprisingly few parties for mm. the best-selling author in the English language at that yeah. point. Like he, he didn't move. He never lived in London. Most famous authors will at some point. You know, or keep a a flat in London or something. And he never did. He lived out in what is basically the middle of nowhere. It's surrounded by fields. (laughs) Like it's the only house within sort of five, within a five minute drive. It's got a river running through it. And, and yeah, he, he, that was the lifestyle he wanted because, and actually you totally see that. But he was always a country boy. Like good, the the them in good omens is Terry's youth. That's like the entire, the 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 way he talks about his own childhood and Rob covers this really well. But he was covering it based on Terry's notes in the first third of the book when he's talking about Terry's youth. Yeah. Like it, you, it's the them's life in go, in from good omens. That's yeah. that's how they that kind of just William lifestyle was actually how it was. It was falling out of trees.
1: Yeah, there's a really nice line early on in Rob's book about like the sort of crowd of scabby need things that all ran mm. home if someone's mother called for dinner. <laughs>
2: It is all very jumpers for goalposts.
0: Yeah. It's, <laughs> I like that shorthand. There.
2: <laughs> older listeners will recognise that as a reference to the Fast Show. Uh, ask your ask your mum and dad. Now, um, um, Jack,
0: Jack, Jack loves the uh, the Fast, fast show, show to the point where some of the references I kind of thought were his jokes until <laughs> I finally watched a few episodes. But
1: <laughs> uh, there's jumpers a lot of ones. from there's a lot of lines from Red Dwarf that I didn't know were from that show and thought were just from jokes that your husband made a lot.
0: <laughs> I think that's probably one of the few things he has in common with Terry Pratchett. He's just like, no, that, That's good. <laughs> Following well, that per- into the work.
2: <laughs> the only person Terry nicked jokes from was himself. And that's yes. only because he'd forgotten he'd done them before.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I really like the description of the pit as this kind of place where half-written paragraphs go to languish until he can pull them out for something. Mm.
0: i've got a scraps file which were obviously not
1: to quite the same effect but does work for that quite well yeah we were talking about scraps files and folders on the podcast a couple of weeks ago weren't we yeah
2: that's such a wonderful idea though isn't it like the idea that there mm. are these massive paragraphs huge like like sometimes le- going into ten thousand words of of stuff that was never used and was just could could be lifted, plonked in another book and rewritten. Wonderful.
1: The example Rob used was the megapode sequence from the beginning of Unseen Academicals, which is just a great thing to have lying around for when you might need a <laughs> megapode hunting sequence. Yeah.
0: Oh no, I think I've got one of those in the cupboard.
2: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I love that bit. Oh, the megapode! I love, I love that bit. Another one is the um, gnarly ground sequence in Carpe Jugulum. Mm. Yeah. Uh, was originally from the Sea of Little Fishes.
0: It makes me pleased that some of those scenes, especially the gnarly ground one actually, were kind of lifted and stitched in like that because there are some practice scenes that have stayed with me so vividly but have none of the context surrounding them in my head. So I couldn't have told you till we got there on the podcast which witch's book the gnarly ground I just remembered that bit.
2: It's really wonderful. And the, just the idea that there are all of these, which... Continually makes it all the more kind of frustrating that that stuff has been destroyed because the pit, the pit is no more. The pit was the inside of the
1: turtle. (laughs) um, I would have paid such good money to just read the pit exactly as is. And I understand why he wouldn't. Oh no, absolutely!
0: If, If nothing else, you can't waste an opportunity to do that. Even if you, even if you didn't care that much if anyone read it, just the the, the narrative satisfaction of knowing that it's all getting steamrolled after your death, like absolutely.
1: I mean, I want my hard drive steamrolled, but for very different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I told you not to save that,
2: <laughs> Your Honour. Um, but yeah, I, I like just the idea that there would be these huge passages of because there were books like. Um, uh, what was there was a there was an unfinished story about an old people's home called Tw- mm. uh, Twilight Canyons. Yeah, and Terry read a big chunk of that out at Discord Convention once.
0: Did he now?
2: So there are people who there are you know there are
0: how long ago who had it on uh, phone camera. It must be somewhere. I think it was. <laughs> I, I
2: think it was around 2010 ish I don't Ooh. know. Don't quote me on that.
0: Dodgy ground but, on know, the old recording front. Then yeah,
2: there are people who there are there are, there are five or six or seven hundred people who have heard you know. Twenty thousand words of that book or whatever or well probably less than that that thinking about it that would be a very long reading but mm. you know they've done yeah. it would just be so good just to have those pits the neil gaiman has gone on record as saying that he wished that they'd done what they did with douglas adams and the and the salmon of doubt and just have an odds and sods collection yeah yeah Have those bits but um, um
0: yeah well i guess yeah douglas adams didn't get the chance to no, so he exactly. wanted his shot into space or whatever. I'm sure he would have done. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Well, the, the Douglas Adams pit would be empty. Yes. <laughs> like, um, there was there was probably, I mean, I oh, know that's not true because it literally wasn't. There literally yeah. is a book that exists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I don't imagine he. but he was famously unprolific. So I don't yeah. think it was, but I imagine the Terrys would have would have like ran to pages and pages and yeah, pages.
0: Yeah. It would be a Silmarillion length book mm. but much 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 more interesting uh sorry i shouldn't do Silmarillion Slander on the on the podcast i
2: reread the Silmarillion this year Did i you read now? this last month as an audiobook
0: i'm sorry to hear that how was it and
2: i really enjoyed it i <laughs> oh. enjoyed it the, it was the it was the most i've ever enjoyed reading the Silmarillion in the six or seven times i've read it in the last 25 years so you reckon uh, audiobook's the way to go yeah, it just reminded me a lot of a TV show from years gone by called Blood and Honey which was ter- which was Tony Robinson walking around the Israeli desert and the the deserts of Palestine and Israel telling stories from the old from the old testament. <laughs> Um, just oh. just to, to to camera No illustrations, no actors uh, The whole show Was was Tony Robinson Telling Old Testament stories to camera Whilst walking around the desert
0: He's such and an was, interesting performer Who would agree to do that for Tony Robinson I
2: yeah. imagine it was his idea
0: Yeah <laughs> uh,
2: And it's never been re-released It's never been re-shown I don't, I, You can imagine that But that was the late 80s, early 90s You couldn't imagine that being made Now I loved that no. show Blood and, and Honey not, you say yeah, and I'm not right, I'm, I'm not religious in the I'm not religious in the slightest, but they're good stories. Oh yeah, the, the Old Testament, Testament stories are, good are great. Stories. Oh. So um it was just and they were written for children to be palatable for children. So I imagine I mean I don't I don't remember Sodom and Gomorrah coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, there's we, a couple
0: of bits you can skip over. So I can't think of a good segue into this, but the next question I definitely want to get to that Joanna's run down is we talked way back when about not wanting to meet our heroes or mm. wanting to, but maybe being half glad we didn't or mm. whatever. Has Rob's book kind of changed your position on that?
2: That's a really interesting question. I'm glad I never worked for Terry Pratchett, put it that way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same. Well, I-
2: you see, I say I you, actually I say that, but actually I, I'm sure as Rob did, Rob weathered those storms. He did and has done fine. And actually, it's I think if you can if you can do it. But yeah, I'm I don't I don't think that side of Terry that you get that feels a bit like there are because there are bits in the book that are harsh. Yeah, there are a bit where the, the way he talks to Rob, Rob talks about some other things. The like the time he. Casually tells Bernard Person that they're going to uh, stop stop doing the the models, yeah, and thus yeah. just offhand basically tells them his livelihood will be coming to an end uh, yeah. because they because that's what he was doing for a living at that point, and just mentioned it offhand. Like mm. I, I, I think having a business relationship with Terry would have been,
0: yeah,
2: would have been stressful. I mean, everyone who worked with him who knew him really well, it has a lot of affection for him. I I never spoke to anyone who said he was a cantankerous old bugger. Or anything <laughs> like people. People would say, "Oh, we, you didn't suffer fools." Yeah, which is one of the reasons I'm glad I didn't get to work. With, I didn't <laughs> have to work because I am <laughs> definitely a fool. But I think I'd still like to have because I, I. If you've read my book, there's a bit at the beginning mm. about how I I missed having a night a night in the pub yeah. with Ter- with Terry and Rob, and I still massively regret that because I think in that in those circumstances, in the setting the world to the world to rights till closing time with a beer, Mm -hmm. I still think that would have been an incredible night to have had that cantankerous side of him is one of the things that I think I'm really pleased Rob did because it makes his book real. It makes it more, it's not a hackyography, which is, was, I guess is the worry when you're writing about your friend, Mm -hmm. when you're writing about somebody, you know, so well that it could, the, you know he was a complicated person that was some but actually that's a phrase i got a few times when i interviewed people he was a complicated person robert rankin said that
0: wow and coming from robert rankin <laughs> yeah exactly
2: <laughs> so i i no i don't think i don't i haven't changed my view i'd still like to have mem in the right circumstances yeah. actually if i'd been in rob's place i'm not sure i'm i'm affable enough to have weathered the storms that rob weathered yeah uh I probably would have cried a lot more than I think. Oh,
1: mate, I would have cried so much. I would have cried immediately on probably the second day when the trench digging started.
0: And like the the
1: confidence to go back
0: after you've been fired. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Just like being able to read the room enough to know that it's probably fine. I don't think I'd have ever managed that.
2: Don't take rejection while me. (laughs)
0: Especially if it's Terry Pratchett. Imagine (sighs) pissing off Terry Pratchett that badly. Oh Um, my God, I'd die. And he was a fan (laughs) already.
2: I'm terrible at rejection and I'm terrible at confrontation. So (laughs) I don't think I would have. Although I don't think Terry handled confrontation very well unless he had time to calm down afterwards. Mm. Um, Was the the bit about where he calls his editor the next day and says, I've had to think about your suggestion. I've decided you're not an interfering old trout after all. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or, no, it's not. It's like you might not be an interferon yeah. trout after all. Or old oh. bag, possibly, but like, yeah. I think it was
0: old bats. <laughs> old bats,
2: you're right. It's old
0: bats. I, I had a little list of these moments highlighted. The, uh, the student journalist bit was the other one. Oh,
2: that was awful. Yeah. I, I, I used to be a student journalist. Like There, but by the grace of God, like, that's, I could have lost that lottery and had Terry Pratchett bringing me up and saying, I'll do the interview now, and then never calling back.
0: I th- I think I'd have tried to get through it, but I think I would have been berated
2: mm,
3: yeah. for not oh, remembering
0: yeah. the six libel defences, five whatever it is. see, Immediately, I'm panicking. Um. But this this
2: is it though. I didn't know those things when I was a student journalist. I wasn't a journalism student. I was, <laughs> I was a sociology student who worked for who worked for the student magazine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if now now I know media law, but I didn't know that, and so I would have. So yeah, he would have. He, I'm bound to have asked him some awful questions.
0: Ah, oh, can you do this shorthand?
2: no i can't i've never been able to do shorthand i tried to teach myself once but it's, it's the thing is you, you don't kind need to anymore
0: do um no no i've <laughs> got to learn p- i want to get my qualifications
2: i've just got bad handwriting and it's not the same thing
0: yeah <laughs> 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 mine might pass for shorthand but it takes considerably <laughs> longer than typing does so that's no good at all. <laughs> so, some of the other things about like his his personality that surprised me it's it's not i don't I don't want to call it weaknesses i I I tried to write it down a few times like I was surprised Rob was so happy pointing out his I guess complicated wouldn't mm, be a good word the, the panic attacks he had the panic attack in in the
1: newsroom and and when the nuclear thing the CEGB when there was an actual full on alert <laughs> yeah. happening and he was taken to the hospital with what they thought was a heart yeah. attack
2: and I think those are the most those are those revealing things like uh, Terry's notes got up to the CEGB yeah like that's that's where his notes finished so i i guess he must have been taking his cue from what terry was happy to include yes because all of those all of that stuff is in that section like the the bit about eric price the editor of the mm. western daily press who is the monstrous editor who made <laughs> terry faint it's really interesting because i i described that bit in my book because i got yes. it firsthand from a um from an eyewitness, Tony Bush, who worked with who who was lovely, really, really, really nice man who, who did a really long interview with me and had lots to say. And sadly, sadly died since I spoke to him. So oh. um, um oh. and so I'm really glad I got to get those memories and I got to have that time. But he described that incident to me about Terry screwing himself up to give his editor a piece of his mind. Yeah. And then faint and then fainting cold on the spot. And so I deliver it as a punchline.
0: That's it. It comes across so differently, doesn't it?
2: Uh, because that's how I was told the story yeah. and it's a and it is a good punchline but in, in Rob's telling it's it becomes something um it becomes a lot less funny it becomes yeah. something uh, it feels a lot more a lot more serious a lot more real but I yeah I, I assumed that Rob knew Terry was happy to have to share that sort of stuff because yeah it's he it was in the parts that he was telling
0: along those lines actually l- later in the book where we get to the really quite upsetting descriptions of mm. Terry's deterioration with his Alzheimer's, I it, it crossed my mind to wonder how much of it was Rob knowing him well enough to know he would wanted all out there, as he said earlier in the book. Terry wanted an honest portrait of Alzheimer's to be out there, and how much of it was they'd gone over it beforehand or whatever. It, it was it was very uncomfortable to read it about someone. I massively lionized. And that's not to say I don't think it should have been in there, but it it was difficult to read in a way that I was not expecting. I was expecting it to be sad, but the, the details about him throwing his arms up in the cab when he thought he was being attacked by lasers or whatever, it's really yeah. upsetting.
2: I think it's in the spirit of Terry's own handling of those issues yeah he was very clear that he wanted to document his own descent yes he wanted to show what this disease was really like he wanted to normalize it have Mm. it talked about and have it confronted so you know that whole thing about to slay the demon you have to say its name yeah uh and i think so i think those descriptions are in the spirit of that intention
0: yeah
2: that and yeah And truth it's 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 it is the story it is what happened
0: and 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 as i said i I don't think it's wrong to put them in there and now you've said about the the kind of spirit of it i mean it did it made me uncomfortable and that's a good thing if people who read it who can have some influence on policy towards funding for alzheimer's Mm -hmm. read it and it makes them very uncomfortable that would be very helpful
1: yeah Mm -hmm.
0: it's that kind of thing but yeah it was um it, it's a much more stark version of it, kind of being grimmer than I thought it would be. The, the first example of that was him having the panic attacks, um, yeah.
1: and yeah, there are also parts of it that feel like it feels very intrusive to read into Rob's life mm. and reading his emotional reaction to everything. I almost wanted to sort of go, "It's fine, I don't have to read this if you want to keep this private."
2: <laughs> and this is what I was saying earlier. I I'm not sure Rob is. As I mean, I pointed this out literally to him. I don't think when he wrote it, Rob was aware of how much of himself he was putting into that book. Yeah. And it's the my favorite thing about the book is how is that it's Rob Wilkins' book about Terry Pratchett. It's yes. not just a book about Terry Pratchett. Yeah. Mine is a book about Terry Pratchett. I am not a character in my book, apart from as the occasional smart ass voice delivering comedy <laughs> footnotes.
3: But Rob <laughs>
2: is at the heart of it. You know, he yeah. stood behind him or to the side of him or slightly out of arms reach of him when he was feeling feisty he he's re- reporting it faithfully yeah um and his reactions to those things um, maybe it's something that on some level he needed to write
0: it yeah. felt cuz it did feel like it would the cathartic bits of writing at points as as the, the bit in new york especially i felt like mm. it it was very raw getting it out on paper kind of writing but,
2: and i suspect yeah. that that time that encounter in new york where terry had the um was it a heart attack? Was it a...
0: Low blood pressure, mm, something. I've forgotten the proper name in, for it, but it looked a lot the, like a heart attack. <laughs> yeah,
2: in the back of a cab. Yeah. Um, like, you know, having to administer CPR to, to, to your friend is one of the most... Yeah. Sure, I've never had to do that, but surely it was one of the most harrowing things you could ever have to do. Yeah. It was terrifying and to have the strength to do it. Yeah.
3: Um, you
2: know, and I guess he would have had to mention that because it's it's out there in the world. It's in my book. Yes. And actually, it was one of the corrections I got. My original line of something um, and CPR had to be administered or something because I didn't know mm. who administered CPR. And they, the correction came back by Rob Wilkins, so you know it's out there. So maybe he felt like he would doing a disservice to the story by not talking about it, but yeah, I definitely feel like for Rob, that was a this that that personal stuff and the stuff about Peter Smedley as well, the man who the man who dies in Switzerland. Yes, uh, the, the at um what's the place called? Um, Dignitas. D- Dignitas. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, which if you've ever seen the documentary, like Rob is not happy about being there. No, it's very like Rob is a do- is a kind is a character in those documentaries as well. And Rob is not happy about being there. He's mm-hmm. not comfortable with watching a man die in front of him, and he's not comfortable with talking to a man and making friends with a man who he know who is going to die the next day. There's a really heartbreaking in those documentaries where like rob is going well if where well, the guy's got oh i love zurich it's so beautiful and, and rob's going well don't do it then let's go to the let's go to the large hedron collider tomorrow like let's go let's go let's go tour, let's go tour the city let's like mm. you don't have to do this and the guy is like no i do like I, there's not going to be another chance for me to do this so i mean that's that's a hard thing to go through that's a hard thing yeah. to lift it um, and
0: while it did, I think, strengthen the documentary because you had mm, the the back and forth. Mm, it's um, you know, it's it's not just somebody strengthening the documentary. It's it, he's he's not an editorial tool. He's no, a, yeah. a person who had real, prob- lasting feelings yeah. about that. Especially is because you know it was the point they were making was it might pertain to his friend very soon yeah. And, and yeah no, it must be oh god exactly and
1: that forces is confronting
2: there's a great bit in the book about the documentary before the previous documentary mm. which is um, Living Without Simons in the documentary they're in the, uh, the office of the specialist and Rob says the question I'd like to ask is h- how long and Terry shoots him down and says I don't want to know and it's a really powerful bit in the documentary but it's an even more powerful bit in the book when we learn mm. that Rob didn't want to ask that question the director Indicated that he should ask that question. Terry didn't know that's what was happening. And that was the the filmmaker editorializing it and making, creating a piece of drama, creating an interesting insight into the subject. But poor Rob is the one that had to, like, be in the position
1: of almost asking.
2: And (laughs) Rob knows, Rob knows how that question is going to go down. Yeah. Yeah,
0: God, imagine having a hell of an assistant, right? Yeah, <laughs> imagine going yeah, into this job off the back of being really good at digitizing stuff and being, you know, <laughs> just a, a good PA and ending yeah. up in this absolutely insane position and being so good at it.
2: Yeah, I, I yeah, that's just, that's just it. He goes from like Rob Wilkins' life is fascinating because yeah. he goes from he goes from organizing Colin Smythe's filing system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to digging a trench in Terry's garden to being in the room whilst a person goes through um a voluntary death procedure at mm. uh, a clinic yeah to being on the set of good omens yeah. and being a um <laughs> and being like uh, being the executive producer of a hit tv show yeah. like that's like that's a strange career path and yeah. i'd really like yeah. to and I'd, I'd actually like to know more of that sort of thing i'd really like to know more about Where that uh, more about how Rob felt about that sort of stuff and the position that he found himself in now as the guy who runs the business. I find that whole thing really fascinating. I find that I find Rob's journey really, really fascinating. And I really like the fact that he's still a very kind of humble, gentle, privately quite bitchy person. (laughs) 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 He's very funny, but it's, uh, you know, he's very humble and he's like he takes his job really seriously. And you see it in the book and you see it in the documentaries. Um, I'm so glad he wrote this. I'm so glad it was him that wrote it. And I'm sure if Rihanna had written it, it would be an also an amazing book, but it'd be a different book. And one day, I hope she writes her own memoir about yeah. her own life. And we get to see how she saw her father and then all the other fascinating and amazing things about Rihanna Pratchett's life yeah. at, as the brilliant Rihanna Pratchett, as yeah. opposed to as Rihanna Pratchett, daughter of Terry. I think the person who had the business relationship yeah because and also because terry always had this private persona that we never really saw and we see glimpses of it glimpses of it in the book we see glimpses of him uh, but it's still the professional person it's still terry pratchett the author being a bit snidey with his assistant or a bit cantankerous with his publisher or mm-hmm. whatever we're still not seeing terry pratchett the husband the father the friend yeah and that's deliberate we never saw that he kept this the whole thing with the hat and the jacket and the and the and the skull cane and everything that yeah. was that was to create that version of Terry Pratchett the version that we got to see and that's still the version that Rob's writing about there's still a layer there that we don't get to go underneath um and i don't think we ever will i don't no. think and i i think, and I think even that's if,
1: right yeah, yeah i don't think we need to or should yeah and i
2: think even if terry was writing his own memoir which was the plan that was the original plan
1: mm.
2: i still don't think we would in fact Rob said on stage when we were talking about it that the original plan for the for this memoir, even after Terry died, was that the first part would be entirely based on Terry's notes. It would just be Terry's uh, notes. Yes, he would just yeah. do what he'd done a done hundred times and tidy. take Terry's notes and tidy <laughs> them up and rewrite them. But he said when they did that, when they edited it all together and they looked back at the the prose version of Terry's notes, mm. the version of, the, of it that was autobiography rather than just – biography it didn't have terry's voice He, he basically he said it wasn't it didn't have that kind of zip that his work had when he was writing fiction yeah when he was writing about something it actually was a bit dry and they didn't and They basically just didn't think it was good enough, and the decision was made that it was going to be much more interesting for Rob to tell the story using quotes from Terry, which I think supports the idea that he created a version of himself that he wouldn't that that was the public version. And even then, he was when he was telling his own story, he was telling the public version of his own story. Yeah, and for Rob at least, who's one of the few people who's read that full version, that obviously felt inauthentic and that's i find that really interesting
0: i think he, he did a really good job as well of hinting at the the last layer of fracture if that makes sense or the next layer down the kind of the depths of his personal warmth a few times saying he became the most married man you'll ever know the tidbit about him being frightened of losing that memory of driving home after mm. rihanna was born which did you have that in your burgers?
2: Yeah, I did. Yes, you did. I thought
0: I'd read yeah. that before. I was like, yeah. I you- oh, that must be much." Because Terry yeah.
2: said it in yeah. Terry said it in an interview. Ah, there we go.
0: Which is,
2: <laughs> which is how I went. So I, it's in my book in the in the bit about Rihanna's birth. I described that based on stuff that Terry had said and based on yeah. stuff that Rihanna had said, and then based on stuff that Rihanna put in Tomb Raider. Yeah. she put her own birth <laughs> in Tomb Raider. But Lara Croft fi- finds a note from her father describing her birth, and it's Rihanna's birth. uh and i end Uh up by going terry would later say that this was the memory he would least like to lose yeah
0: Yeah. so like one of his fun insensitive bits was at least it wasn't me whenever he heard of somebody dying and Mm. then i thought in an almost kind of pratchettian way when he got his diagnosis it was at least it wasn't lynn
2: Mm. i just thought that was i hadn't picked that up
0: and i don't know if it was on purpose or just a lovely bit of uh, not accidental symmetry, but that's just how it fell symmetry. But the
2: way it, yeah, mm. the way it, the, the, the kind of deliberate echo there. Yeah. But yeah, yeah that's like, yeah, he was flippant about it until, until, you know, shit got real.
0: Yeah. And what then, fit hit the sham. <laughs> yeah.
2: And then suddenly it's, and then suddenly it's, you know, that, that's pro- probably the most human he is in the entire book.
1: Mm. Yeah.
2: And yeah. that's almost everything. You, Everything that is that Rob reports Terry saying is is kind of glib. Yeah. Or, um, well,
1: he talks about, or... um, Terry telling him his, uh, his mother had passed away by walking in the room and saying, Stand up, all those who still have a mother or <laughs> who don't have a mother, which I found hilarious because I would have done that. Me too. Damn it
2: but that you know he is glib and and most of the quotes the direct quotes we get from terry are are funny they're polished or they're they're asides he was really he was a really funny person Mm. off the cuff he was really funny and he was especially funny when he got to then take that comment and polish it and make it better and Mm. that was one of the moments where it was those those, and i think that's why the the vulnerable moments the ones that jump out that moment It's a it's a real human moment, and then the moments of fallibility and vulnerability, because those are the bits we never saw. There's very little of that in my book because I had I my book was entirely based on things he told other people, yeah, and things he allowed professional acquaintances to see. So there was there was always a barrier that I was never going to be able to get past, and I assumed Rob would. Mm. And it was really it is really nice to see those those bits to see those bits of where you you see him as a real vulnerable person because the only other uh, the only two real emotions we we get from terry through a lot of it is glib asides and anger Mm. and we all know mostly because neil pointed it out Mm. but it's there in the book anyway and neil's incredible forward to the slip of the keyboard, but it's there yeah. in his books anyway, that that Terry was angry and that he was that his fury fury injustice is what powered his work. Um so we kind of knew that already but the those that was really the only genuinely human thing apart mm. from sense of humor that we kind of got and that was the only the, the only thing that we were allowed to see. So those moments that are completely unguarded yeah. um, of compassion and of um and of awkwardness those i think are the most fascinating things we see in the book
0: yeah what do you think was the most surprising thing you learned from this and that's going to be a harder question for you than a lot of people because you already learned a lot about Terry Project. I mean
2: I'd really be really interested in hearing your answers to that question. Um mine was the I mean I've already said it is the is the fact that it was actually Rob that was doing the typing for mm. so much for longer than we than we knew. I found that really fascinating. In terms of the stuff we that is revealed about Terry, I don't I don't know I spent so long immersed in his life that I Yeah. Actually, none of, a lot of that didn't surprise me. Yeah, because I think Rob has been very respectful, as we as we've talked to, talked about a few times, to what Terry wanted people to know about his story. Yeah, which is why those moments when he allows the real person to punch through stand out quite a lot. But yeah, yeah. that fact that fact because it's just it's such a well kept secret. Mm. They never they never mentioned it,
0: which is odd in itself because like being able to dictate a story like that is mm. such a talent, like a rare talent. Yeah.
2: And I don't know if you've ever tried if you've ever tried it. I occasionally mm. dabble with using dictation software. Yeah. And you do find yourself going, you know, you're adding comma, full stop, open brackets, all that yeah. sort of stuff. And it feels awkward. Mm. Um, but it destroyed a theory that I had, huh? which was that um, because I always found that the last few Discord novels, Snuff and Raising Steam, especially work better as audiobooks than they do on the page. Oh. And I always assumed it's because they were dictated so they were they were read out loud, so when they're read back they the rhythm makes more sense. Mm. but it turns out that had been the case for the previous fifteen books as
0: well, yeah, yeah, but still I think there could still be merit to the theory because prior to those books, perhaps it was then going through the file physically, yeah, and changing the words himself, even if he wasn't typing it out straight away the first time that's true. And
2: actually, those work as audiobooks, they work very well as audiobooks anyway. Yeah,
0: like, they yeah. Almost all <laughs> yeah. of them do. I was interested to note how how much he hated the abridged versions. Not mm. surprised to know that, but uh, yeah, it was I'm funny and sad that Tony Robinson thought Terry Pratchett hated him for a bit. Imagine being a Terry Pratchett <laughs> fan and thinking he personally hated you. That would be so sad. <laughs>
1: because of a job you were doing, yeah. like almost <laughs> on his behalf. And you don't like to think of Tony
0: Robinson being sad either. <laughs> like, no, no. I oh, see that no. little fa-
2: that little face all screwed up and upset. Oh.
0: The um oh uh, along the lines of the the typing the dictation stuff actually I think the the main thing for me that was surprising was right near the beginning when Rob talked about the first file he got that was like changing fonts and colour throughout. <laughs> I was like, yeah. what? yeah, it was a pull. i to so that. because <laughs> I write like that. I do I not. Don't. I would be very annoyed if you gave me that to edit. <laughs>
2: i don't my manuscripts are spotless mm, i mean typos mm. yeah but yeah 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 but, but I, <laughs> I i it it makes it makes like a vein pulse in my temple if the mm. if the font if the font size is different
0: yeah let alone the color <laughs> what, what was your most surprising bit joanna
1: there are a couple of bits i mean there were little silly things like i didn't know rob had been the model for the shornog figurine <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but it made me very happy to learn that Robert Bindlemore oh. for the Sean Ogg figurine. One thing that surprised me was how much Pratchett hated editing. Mm. Because you read the books and there's something we talk about on the podcast a lot. Like they're incredibly well edited as in it doesn't feel like there's an ounce of fat on them. There's mm. nothing there that doesn't need to be there. And yeah, he really didn't like doing it.
2: And that kind of fits in with that idea that there was never a first draft of a book.
1: Mm. Like
2: every book was like was a zero draft, like because he would never yeah. he would just finish it and then go keep go he'd be con- he'd be continually editing it as yeah. he went along. So I which I find really like like, you know, I find that really interesting.
1: Mm. There's a bit later on, it's one of the Mois von Litwig books, and the editor came back to him with, You've not finished this character's story, could you by tomorrow? Oh yeah. And that's fantastic because he spends an entire day doing everything except writing and the <laughs> bit of story he needed to write and then wrote it all perfectly in one sitting with yeah. about
0: an hour to go. Oh, I think Rob said something like it was written so well it was almost like an attack on the editor.
2: It was the end of making money. Is it even an epilogue? It's what Terry would call a cigarette uh, which is the, the what he called the, the bits oh, at the, the end of books where yeah. he tied things up and, and it fits so perfectly with everything that's gone with that character before and it is an incredible bit. Here's a question. Were there any was there any moment when you were reading it when you went, is
0: that true? Oh, hmm. Good question.
2: Because if Terry polished his anecdotes and Rob doesn't occasionally will go too good to check and he'll just take Terry's party line. And the thing about his first day at work, for example, where he famously said he saw a body.
0: I did highlight that as a does that fit it? Because you looked at it and the the ho- the homeless man being dead didn't fit with it, and the yeah, I
2: mean, I found yeah. as far as I'm concerned that didn't, happen. yeah, because in, l- in
0: Rob's book it happened like within the week, but not on his first day.
2: Like it's it's in my research. I mean, I do. I've never doubted that it happened. I'm yeah. sure it happened, but I think it happened much further, like months into his his tenure as a as a journalist. It didn't happen on the first day or within the first few days because I went through those newspapers. Line by line, for Mm. months. But I think Rob is in those circumstances happy to happy to print the legend, yeah, happy to print the myth. It's a better story. But I I do wonder if there are any bits where, uh, like that story of Terry working all day, doing anything but finishing the story and then going and then dashing it off, and uh, often there isn't it perfect. Is that too good to be true?
0: Hmm. I don't know. Because I obviously never to that level, but I have often done some of my best work under similar circumstances, and it's very—it's a bit without any editing needed. Yeah. Ooh, I didn't question it as I was reading it. Um, I haven't
2: until just now. Mm. Uh, I don't. I don't think. It, I don't think it is made up, but uh, it did make me wonder if, if Robert threw in his own bits that were too good to check. Not things where that, because I think he's very good at, tr- at truth. He's very yes. good at, t- at, at telling us as much as we can who Terry was. And he keeps, you know, we talked about the, the, the vulnerabilities that he allows to be shown, but there are other times where I think it's maybe it's in his interest as his friend, almost as the guardian of his kind of legacy to to give some of these other anecdotes—a bit of a spin polish—to yeah. go uh, um, to, to further the legend, and that kind of thing furthers the legend. That kind of yeah. thing carries on making us feel that Terry was a genius, and doesn't compromise the innate truth of the story. Um, whereas I think some of the other bits you wouldn't change, or wouldn't edit, or wouldn't scrub up. I, I'd like to—I'd th- like to think not. I'd like to think that yeah. that's just the—the the, I'd like to think not. But it's an interesting question to ponder.
0: It is, yeah. I'm not sure I've got any ammunition to have a shot at that at the moment. Joanna, anything off the top of your head?
1: The only thing I think I felt really doubtful about was the story about a fax coming through on the fax machine that hadn't been used for many months and had dried up ink. Because I feel like anyone who would have tried to send a fax would have done something else. The fact that it was from Colin Smythe made it a bit believable. (laughs) But that was one that felt like an exaggeration. Yeah, the, yeah, a couple of the tiny anecdotes.
0: I mean, like the, this, I think might have been filed under too good to check, and it was Terry's anecdote, not Rob's, but the uh, the paintbrush being accidentally taken home and painting the house, and the SWAT team came and took plaster off the walls. Like, yeah, that to me is like a that's a good story. <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> but, I don't know. I didn't work at a nuclear reactor. <laughs> he had a lot
2: of those stories as well. Yeah, I, I actually was quite pleased that a lot of the ones that Rob uses weren't the ones in my book.
0: Uh, yeah the, the fairy mound I thought I was going to yeah. see again
2: and I, I wonder if that's just because Terry had told those stories um, mm. and maybe Rob assumed that the audience would already know them or maybe actually because one of my favourite bits in the book is the CGB stuff the central mm. electricity generating Board, for those not paying attention um, <laughs> and the whole stuff about the table of eight because I don't know oh, yeah. that I didn't know that yeah. at all because obviously that's that's really private stuff. Yeah. And one of the big holes in my book actually was the CGB. I I couldn't find anyone who knew him there who was willing to talk to me. And uh. I tried. I tried I I found one person and it was right at the end. I'd already started um Advertising the book on Facebook, and somebody oh. replied to for the pre-orders, and somebody replied to my Facebook comments. And so now I used to work with, with Terry Pratchett at the Central Electricity Generating Board, and I was like, "Oh my god, can I speak to you? We've got like a day before this goes to print." <laughs> um, and I managed to get a few extra bits of colour that yeah. fleshed that bit out. But otherwise, that that whole part of his life is the least documented bit. So I loved that whole kind of thing and that he kept those friends till the end of his life and it was really interesting.
0: And especially as you've got the two, not quite a dichotomy, but almost because you've got you've got those friends and, and the fun boys playing Space Invaders together and going to the arcade mm. and just being nerds and fun. <laughs> and then you've got like literally one door down, the stories about him going around and everyone learning to fear the words that start with how do I say this in a way that doesn't offend and knowing yeah. him as a force of nature and a loud voice mm. yeah you're right it was a really cool bit of the book that I really enjoyed that especially with the details like still refusing to wear a tie and just yeah
2: <laughs> he did I, uh, I did apparently he used to wear a piano key tie that's one of the details I found See, <laughs> fair. yeah and the, the thing about him making them play Dungeons and Dragons as well was oh and gosh, just, bad, and just, all of them just just going what
0: (laughs) insane
2: yeah and that never happened again
0: (laughs) oh i'll tell you what i'll tell you what i did wonder about is the being so offended at the idea of a large advance that he shelved a slip of the keyboard for Mm. eight years yeah yeah
2: Yeah, that was really interesting
0: that's a it would be such an odd thing to make into a made-up anecdote that Mm. i don't think it can be but it's such a bizarre thing and it think, it fits with the rest of it, but to that extent, good grief. Yeah.
2: His relationship with money was really interesting. I think mm. he felt like he enjoyed being rich. Yeah, he enjoyed having a has he put it a shitload of money.
3: Yes, um, <laughs>
2: but I think I think he enjoyed it especially because he'd earned it, yes. and he felt like his talent had earned that money. He was worth that money, mm. like because his genius, his talent was what had generated that cash, and yeah. every every penny was was something he had earned with his imagination and his. Graft and hard work. Whereas yeah. it's, I think with that, uh I think he felt that that would be money that he hadn't earned.
0: Yeah, he um, didn't want to be some kind of futures market. So, yeah, exactly. You know.
2: <laughs> and that, so yeah, I thought that was really interesting as well. He had yeah. like his ethic, his work ethic is really strong, and that comes yeah. through, all the way through his life. His work ethic is really strong, and it's yeah. that, this idea of doing the job in front of you and being paid fairly for it. Yeah, uh which is a really, you know, it's a very working class idea. It yeah. is. Uh,
0: but he's not—he's not got that annoying false modesty on top of it, which is nice. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I'm sure but, that oh, 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 happened. Shouldn't, shouldn't have ideas above my station, type thing. No, 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 no. I the know where my station is.
2: <laughs> also, at that point, he could afford to turn down a large amount of money because he already had a large amount of money. Yeah, uh, I dare say that when he was on you know, £15,000 at the CEGB in nineteen in 1982, if yeah. somebody came up and said, we'll give you three quarters of a million pounds or whatever it was um, to pu- publish a collection of your essays. Mm. At that point, I don't think he would turn it down.
0: He wouldn't, but he might have given himself an actual heart attack. I think <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a, la- a large part of it does seem to be the idea of him slowly learning his limits, learning his boundaries mm. might be a better way of putting it of yeah. learning what kind of pressure he can take. And like,
2: I can actually kind of relate to it. I, hmm. I could, last year, I was asked to appear on GB News Oh God! Uh, to talk about <laughs> cancel culture oh. and they offered me a oh. hundred pounds, right? And obviously I turned it down, but it made me think, how much money would they have had to have offered me before I said yes? And I decided it was a thousand pounds because mm-hmm. I decided once you get to a thousand pounds, that's where I would feel irresponsible to turn it down.
3: Mm.
2: because um because you know it'd be worth it because that's a large amount of money it's rare that somebody gives you that amount of money in one go
3: for doing
2: not very much and at that point um my principles would have Connor and I would have gone like I can swallow it for this large amount of money. Mm. There's other things you wouldn't do for that amount of money, obviously. But, yeah, yeah. but you know, <laughs> no. but for turning up <laughs> for turning <laughs> up for turning up on telly and arguing with some racists, uh, like um Yeah, I'd do uh, that for
1: a grand. For a hundred for a hundred
2: pound, I don't want to give them no. the airtime, I don't want to give them the auction, I don't want to lend my voice to their horrible product. Mm. For a thousand pounds, I'd feel like it was me that was winning, See,
0: not them. Yeah. This is the thing, though, and this is why. Like, I think there's possibly two reasons for practice doing stuff like that. For me, I wouldn't take the ground to do it because I would find it far too. Like, it's not. It's not my morals stopping me. It's I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Being, I, I would be terrified of doing it at all. I'd have been terrified of the feedback afterwards. I wonder if stuff like this with practice, like, it's obviously a mm. lot of morals in there, but also imagine being given, and maybe not with a slip of the keyboard because he was so successful by that point, but a lot of the stuff of not wanting to have too much money before going, mm. to, going to print or not wanting to be put, far, put, put forward for forward the Carnegie. For the... Yeah. Is, I don't want to give myself that panic.
2: <laughs> yeah. In later years, he withdrew his books from the Hugo. And um, For oh. anyone that doesn't know, the Hugo is a big science fiction award. It's probably the biggest award in science fiction. It's bigger than the Locus Award, which I won, <laughs> uh, but it, it's... <laughs>
1: Wait, Mark,
2: well, did you want to <laughs> win a Locus Award? I did. Have oh. I, I, I mentioned well, that I won a Locus Award? Well, then, sorry,
0: we do have an award winning guest for us today, that's
2: nice. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm frankly appalled it's taking you this long to bring it up. Sorry. But the thing is, yeah, uh, he, <laughs> um, you know, for years, he was bitter that he was never in the mix for those kind mm-hmm. of things. Uh, he wouldn't talk about it, he would he'd never say that. He would always laugh it off and say, Well, I've made loads of money, so I don't care about yeah. anything else. <laughs> But he was genuinely bitter that he, that he wasn't winning these major awards. And then, when he was finally at the point where he could have actually been in the mix to win a Hugo to win the most prestigious award in science fiction, um which I think was for going i making either from i think was for making money actually um he withdrew it. He decided that he wasn't going to be able to enjoy himself. his yeah. exact words were I won't be able to enjoy the convention if yeah. I've got that hanging over me
0: and that's again like a kind of learning his boundaries, isn't it because that mm. that was another thing that did surprise me the. Well, actually, Rob said it like this, so I can The lack of graciousness shown when he did lose something. And mm. I, I guess the kind of lack of being able to just swallow it for a bit. C- considering how careful he was with his persona, yeah, yeah.
1: I wouldn't be very I gracious think- if I lost out to Ricky Gervais. Well,
0: no, <laughs> not now you wouldn't, but at the time we didn't know.
2: It's this idea that, okay, like, because we've got this, there's this. If we go back to the to Neil Gaiman's "Forward to, the, to a slip mm. of the Keyboard," you have this start. You have this idea of Terry as the jolly old elf, which mm. he was a part, which was a part he played. And wasn't true. Mm. And then Neil gives us this idea of a of the righteous anger.
3: Yeah. Of
2: Terry as a as a flame of righteous anger. Yeah. As somebody who is like who is a furious campaigner for social justice. Yeah. Who hate who is camp who is a crusader for what is right yeah. in the world. And that's a different part of him. And then we get this from Rob, which is a different thing altogether, which is him as a cantankerous old bugger.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Like him was a, as, you know, mo- uh, as moody and a bit uh, yeah. moody and flinty, yeah. and I, I, and I really like that because that's the stuff that humanizes somebody.
0: Yeah, yeah, capricious. I think he used it at one point and I was like oh there we go that's the word even the thing about the
2: anger how the anger feels and everything and you kind of go oh we know we know him a bit better for having read that for knowing Mm. that that thing I feel like oh that's an insight into his personality but Mm. even that feels like it doesn't feel like who somebody really is it's it's a
0: well Neil's a storyteller as well
2: yeah it still feels it still feels like almost just like a superhero's characteristic Mm. yeah you know, it's, it's his special power. It's his special ability. And he's a righteous crusader for the good. And he's angry about, about the injustices of life. Again, that doesn't, that still feels like it's a, like, it's the persona we're giving the, we're being given the persona. We're just getting a different kind of the persona. Mm-hmm. But I think like that element of the persona of him being grumpy and a little bit unpleasant sometimes, yeah. is, that's far more real. And mm-hmm. that's, um that's the detail that I really enjoyed knowing.
0: Yeah. And it, it doesn't make me admire him less at all. No, not is, at all. Yeah, <laughs> which is nice. The more the more I read about him, the more I admire him. Even if some of it is not like objectively admirable, and I guess it is. Yeah, you're right. It's humanizing. It's now I now you see him more as a person, and kind of the superhuman stuff he does seems even more impressive.
2: You know, so we'd uh, we'd have to find out something pretty awful, which I'm hundred percent certain we never would.
0: Not with the queen's lawyers on. Sorry. No. <laughs>
2: Uh, I, I'd be interested to see if that stays in, um, <laughs> but I don't think we're ever going to find out anything really horrible. There isn't anything to find out, but um, no, yeah. like the, the all of the stuff we do find out adds to our respect for him as uh, as a writer, as mm. a, because that's what he is. That's not, everything else is dressing. Ultimately, what he is is an author of these incredible books yeah that's why we admire him that's why we're interested that's why we're having this conversation that's why this book exists That's why my book exists and all of that stuff we're learning is informing the, the bit about him being cantankerous and not suffering fools mean flinty and capricious and the anger and all of that kind of thing and and the awkwardness all of that is fueling our appreciation of his writing because you're seeing that reflecting it's giving us a deeper understanding of of the work which so that's none of that is ever going to make us like him less because the reason we like him is the work and it's making us understand the work more yeah Uh, so actually the more we know i i i I think it'd have to be something pretty unpleasant to change that and Mm. i don't think that and i don't think that thing exists
0: yeah that that's a good summary
2: i'm i'm quite pleased with that
0: summary yeah that's good (laughs) eh? that's good Ooh, I haven't checked out uh, the reviews for Rob's book yet. Have you? Let's have a look. I've seen it's a few. I mean,
2: I've I've seen a few, and they've they've all been very good. There is no such thing as a hundred percent like loved book. There will no. always be bad ones. No. Uh, the professional reviews have been very kind. He's had really good professional reviews. Um, mm-hmm. rightly so. I think it's yeah. a it, it's a it's it's a great book. It deserves <laughs> it deserves them. But yeah, yeah, the the fan reviews I think have been really good.
0: Well, that's a good point. So, some of the literary merits of the book probably worth highlighting like because we've never seen anything long form from Rob Wilkins before no.
2: and it's a really yeah. well written book mm. it's well it's uh, it's got a great structure um he's got a, a lovely like split in
0: half who manages that yeah like almost he, exactly
2: <laughs> he wanted it to be two books um. he he wanted those those to, um he wanted those that that bit in the middle he wanted that to be the end of book 1 that explains uh,
0: why it's so perfectly split. <laughs>
2: and his publisher, well, he was delighted where he got given a he got given a word limit, then told he had to stick to it. And <laughs> he was, he said, he's delighted. He was delighted to find that that point in the middle, that point where he felt was the end of Act One, um, did fall almost exactly at the the at the middle of his word count.
0: Oh, I'm so glad he didn't even have to mess around with it afterwards to make that happen. Ah, mm. oh, great.
2: but yeah i think it's a very well i think it's a skillfully written book and i guess you know he he spent 20 years watching a master of of his craft at work so i think knowing how to how to structure a book i guess he you know he learned at the he learned at the knee at the knee of the what's name
1: (laughs) he learned at the eight monitors of the master yeah (laughs) (laughs) not not just not
0: just painting a ceiling with michelangelo but mixing the paints and getting lead poisoning or whatever like <laughs> or doing
2: or doing the painting whilst yeah. michelangelo stood yeah, behind yeah. you going yeah, going you left a bit it. yeah <laughs> <You're fired>. um <laughs> uh but um <laughs> yeah i actually I, I, I genuinely think it's a written is you know it's it's got a lovely tone it has a balance to it when it goes serious it doesn't mm. drop that on you in ways that aren't unless it's ways that are effective yeah it, yeah, it's a skillfully written book, and um, mm. that imp- that impressed me as well. I mean, I you know he's it, I wouldn't take want to take any credit away from his, from his no. editor. I'm sure he had a great editor, but I wouldn't want to take any credit away from Rob, who I think did a did a really brilliant job with it.
0: Do you think
1: we'll see more writing from Rob in the future?
2: Um, I strongly suspect we will.
1: Okay, good. Ooh. That is everything we can say about a life with footnotes without this being a three hour episode. Mark, where can people on the internet find you and find out what you're doing and pre-order your books and things? Uh,
2: I basically live on Twitter. That is where my, exi- until recently I worked for Twitter, uh, which I never used to be able to tell people, but now I don't work for them anymore. So I can. Uh, so I am at 20th century Mark, two zero TH century Mark with a C. Um, and that's, but you can find basically everything as well on markboroughs.co.uk and, um, essentially i never shut up on the internet so you you should be able to find me uh also please do sign up for my mailing list because i uh, i send a mailing a newsletter once a month that has links to everything i've written recently and a, like some sort of stupid essay about my life normally and then a bunch of recommendations well, including to knit- this very podcast it's, <laughs> it's, it's a Glom good mailing knit.
0: list and we will link to that in the show notes dear listeners mm. and uh, it, it it is worth very much signing
1: up for Right. We will be back next week with the first half of The Last Hero. I don't know where the first half begins and ends because I haven't read it yet. Until next time, you can follow us on Instagram at the True Shall You Fret, on Twitter at Make you Fret bod, on Facebook at the True Shall Make you Fret. You can join our subreddit community, r slash TTSMYF. Email us your Thoughts queries, Castle Snacks and Albatrosses, The True show, make you Fret Pod at gmail.com. And if you want to support us financially, go to patreon.com forward slash the True Shall Make Fret and exchange your hard-earned pennies for all sorts of bonus nonsense. And until next time, dear listener.
2: Don't let us detain you. No helicopters or loincloths.
1: Oh, shit, I even had a loincloth, but oh well. What was the loincloth? We can put it in after the uh, closing music. Hang on, page 31 in my copy. <laughs> Uh, I think it was in reference to Jesus. Terry barely gave this strangely suspended and wounded figure in his loincloth another thought. Ah,
0: and should we call the Morris Minor van that did better than a helicopter could have done? The helicopter. Yes,
3: absolutely. (laughs)